0: Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. In his book, um, an anthropologist on Mars, neurologist Oliver Sacks, tells about Virgil, um, a man who had been blind from early childhood. When he was 50, Virgil underwent a surgery that was given the gift, and was given the gift of sight. After not having been able to see, he was able to see. But as Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same thing as seeing. Virgil's experience uh, with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements, but arranging them into coherent pictures was more difficult. Over time, he learned to identify various objects, but his habits, his behaviors, they were still those of a blind man. Again, keep in mind, he hadn't been able to see since very early childhood, probably four or five years old. And at 50, he was given yet again the the, uh, gift of sight. Dr. Sachs asserts one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. It's the interim, the limbo, that is so terrible in learning to see. Truly, To truly see Jesus in his truth means more than observing what he did or said. It means a change of identity. And I think there are so many believers today that say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a man. I believe he died. He rose again. Yes, I believe he's the son of God. And we will profess that with our mouths, but our lives don't indicate that kind of faith. We have to die to self daily deny ourselves and we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him basically do you know what that means it's it's uh, the passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 9 when he's still with them before he's crucified before he's dead and buried before he's raised from the grave he tells his disciples this if any of you wants to be my follower you must first deny yourself daily. What does that mean? Deny that I exist? Is it a philosophical thing? Is that what he's getting at? Should I deny my own existence? No, that's not what he's saying. What's he saying? I have to deny my desires first. Before I wake up and say, well, what am I gonna do today? The world is my oyster. What am I gonna do with it? God's given me this day. I'm gonna take it by the horns, right? What are you gonna do? Deny yourself every single day if you wanna be his follower. And then you are to take up your cross and follow him. Basically, what are his desires? What does he want? What does God want? You're like, I don't know what he wants for my life. And we've so overcomplicated this. And the enemy has overcomplicated this. And who is the enemy? We call him Satan, the devil, the one who is a wolf in sheep's clothing, or the one who prowls like a lion around seeking whom he may devour, as Peter says. We've been told all of our lives, you deserve everything. You've been, we, we've been told by commercials, by TV shows, it's all about you. But let's be honest, it's not just new to our culture. The American culture didn't come up with that. That is not the American dream. Actually, the American dream was founded in godly principles, in Judeo-Christian principles, which was love your neighbor as yourself. What do we do with all of this? As we close out the series today, I've entitled this sermon, The Great Day. Why is this the great day? Because last week, Easter, we talked about Jesus rising from the grave. That very same day, there were a couple more interactions. You remember who came to the tomb early in the morning? To with spices and oils to anoint and and, and, uh, embalm the body of Jesus that had been so hastily put into the tomb on Friday. And the women, they were the ones to come to the tomb early in the morning. Now, really quickly, and I'm way off script at the moment, why is that significant that in the gospel accounts, in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, that a woman or women come to the tomb first. Why is that significant? Because today, we live in a day where women have an equal place within society. In Jesus' day and age, they didn't. They weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law, even under the Jewish system. Their testimonies were not considered valid. Only the testimonies of two men in the court of law was allowed. Not one man. You had to have at least two witnesses. And those two witnesses had to be men. So now, put that into perspective. Jesus raised us from the grave, and the gospel writers, knowing the culture they live in, if they were making the story up, how do you think they would have written that account of the first witnesses of the empty tomb? They would have had two men. If they were making it up, they would have written two of the male disciples came and noticed the tomb. Now, two of the male disciples did come. We talked about that last week, Peter and John, and John got ahead of him because more than likely he was a bit younger and was able to run faster. And we do know that two male disciples came to the tomb, but not first. Only after Mary Magdalene came to them and said, hey, hey, hey. They've taken his body and we don't know where they've laid him. Now that's a sidetrack of what I want to talk about this morning, but I want to tie these two together because now Mary Magdalene is there after Peter and John have now gone on back home after seeing the empty tomb and the grave clothes laid out on the slab where Jesus' body was laid in this freshly hewn out tomb and the, uh, the head cloth Wrapped and folded neatly, sitting beside it. They walk on back, but Mary is still there. Mary is still confused. Where's Jesus? See, John looked in after Peter went on into the tomb and noticed the grave clothes were empty and the headcloth laying folded on the side. No grave robber would have done that. They would have taken the body, grave clothes and all, and unwrapped the body somewhere else. But they were left behind. And Mary peers in, in today's story, and sees something that seemingly Peter and John didn't. And she still struggles. Where's Jesus' body? Where have they laid him? Let's pick up the story today as we conclude this series. John chapter 20, starting with verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Peter and John were in there just moments before. All they saw were the empty grave clothes. Mary peers in after they leave. (laughs) There are two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. And they ask her, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. Because they've taken my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. Stop and think about that for a moment. What would you do if you saw an angel, and you knew, white-robed, you didn't see anybody else go in and out of there except Peter and John, and they just left, and you, peered, and there are two angels. What would your response be? Well, Mary's response is, I'm crying because they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. I'm not sure that that would be my first response, but it gives you a glimpse into the heart of Mary, who is very grief-stricken. Have you ever been so grief-stricken that you can't see reality? Have you ever been so depressed and so hurt and so maimed by something a situation or development in your life, and you can't, You can't see the truth staring you right in the face. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. So she's walking out of the tomb. Put your place there at this tomb in your mind's eye. She's walking out of the tomb after experiencing two angels standing on the slab or sitting on the slab where Jesus' body was. And she goes out and she sees somebody standing there in front of her. It was Jesus, (laughs) the one she was looking for, but it says she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, he says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. (laughs) Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, please tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Stop. Most women can't pick up, a guy and carry him anywhere unless he is a little bitty fella and she is a bigger woman with muscles I have rarely ever seen a woman pick up a guy and carry him anywhere so think of this what is she saying to the supposed gardener you tell me wh- if you've taken him and put him just tell me where I- I'm going to go get him what are you going to do with him when you get him We throw out all reason when we are so depressed and so grief-stricken, don't we? All sense of reason goes out the window when we are consumed by grief, and grief has its place. Please understand, we do grieve, but as believers in Christ, we don't grieve as ones who have no hope. Isn't that what Paul says in Thessalonians? But see, Mary has lost all hope because all of her hope was in Christ Jesus, And she is in such distress and despair, she can't see the truth staring her in the face. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is the Hebrew term for teacher, Don't cling to me, Jesus says, for I haven't ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Who was the first one to see the risen Lord? (laughs) Would you put that in? Again, if you were making up this story not just the first to see the empty tomb, but the first to see the risen Christ. You would not have written this in the mid-first century if you were wanting to validate your story unless it was true, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy because they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love that. I love that. Where do we see the first breathing of life? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God creates everything. He gets to Adam, and he forms him out of the soil of the ground, and he does what? He doesn't just animate the body as if on strings. He breathes into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And now Jesus, the risen Christ, is breathing out his spirit upon his disciples. Do you see this? It's a regeneration. It's a new creation. Paul talks about this. We who believe in Christ become new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. This is what Jesus has done with them. He's taken them and he's made them into new creations. He's reanimated them and restored them and reconciled them to the Father through his Holy Spirit. But it takes their belief in him in order for that to happen. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. We'll come back to that. Actually, no, we won't. I'm just realizing what's in my notes. We won't come back to that today, but let me just give you a brief in- interlude. That sounds very Catholic to where you go and you get uh, absolution for your sins from a priest. And they'll tell you to go say so many Hail Marys or Our Fathers. Um, What's going on in the context here is not that the disciples are giving are given the opportunity to save somebody, but that the message of the Lord imparted to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ has the ability to save them. The message of the gospel given to to the disciples, what we call the apostles' teachings or what has been called the apostles' teachings in Acts chapter two, are the words of life to liberate people, but some people won't believe. Not everybody who hears the message of the good news believes it. It's a parable of the soils all over again. The the gardener scatters the seeds. Some falls on rocky soil, hard soil, weeds, Some falls on good soil. When he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. He's basically saying how you handle the word of God can bring forgiveness to the life of another person. But if they reject it, they're not forgiven. If they reject the risen Lord and the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're not forgiven that's what he's talking about in the context here go back with me to that upper room the doors are locked one of the disciples thomas nicknamed the twin or didymus if you read the king james version was not with the others when jesus came they told him we have seen the lord but he replied i won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side now eight days later the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked yet again, but suddenly, before uh, as before, Jesus was standing among them. What does He say to them again? "Peace be with you." Then He said to Thomas, "Because Thomas, you remember," He said, uh, "I won't believe." unless they see the nails or feel the wound. Jesus wasn't with them when he told the disciples that, but Jesus knew the doubts of Thomas. And he calls him out and he says, come here, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand to the wound in my side, and he opens it up and he shows him the wound in his side. Put your hand here. Touch this. I want you to see and feel that it's me. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And what is Thomas' response? My Lord and my God. Words of blasphemy to the Jewish culture. But in an instant, Thomas sees and believes and proclaims that Jesus is God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. How many of you have ever seen the risen Lord? How many of you have been able to touch the nail prints or feel the wound in his side? See Jesus was thinking of you when he said that to Thomas, blessed are those who have seen or have not seen and have still believed. Here's the key point this morning. Our eyes ultimately open to the truth when it calls us by name. <laughs> and that takes us to Mary. Mary recognized the truth when Jesus called her by name. What is she doing that whole time? She's looking around. She's looking in the tomb. She sees two white-robed angels. Doesn't faze her. She comes out. She sees Jesus standing right in front of her. Doesn't recognize him. What is the one thing that put the light bulb on for her? Mary. Mary. She didn't recognize Jesus' voice when he asked her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What's going on? Didn't recognize her voice until he said what? Mary. Words that she'd heard often before in interactions with Jesus as he'd called her by name. There's something about Jesus calling you by name that gets you to wake up. Mary is so overwhelmed by her grief, by her desperation that she can't see straight. The only thing that's captured her her mind is her only hope is lost, it's gone. She's desperate. She's willing to do whatever it takes even if she physically can't do what she thinks that she can do. I think it's amazing That after seeing uh, everything that she's seen up to this point, that she can't see anything. And and an interesting thought to consider is that we usually find what we're looking for, don't we though? Think about that. (laughs) If I buy a car, and you've heard me say this before, nobody else has that car before I buy it. I might know a couple people. But when I buy the car, it's amazing. Everybody else in the world goes out and buys that same car. You know what I'm talking about? They do. I drive down, there's another one, there's another one. Oh, I like that color better. Right, and you're, why? Because your sense of awareness is heightened to the reality of your current situation. What is Mary's current situation when she goes to the tomb? What is her reality? The tomb is empty, the body's gone, that's all she can think about. She came expecting death. That's what she was, she and the other Marys that were walking with her to the tomb that day were expecting death. And one of the angels in one of the gospel accounts says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they still won't get it. Why do you look for the living among the dead? But how often do we do that? Let's be honest. You come into a situation or a relationship or you know that if I go and talk to so-and-so, this is how it's going to go. And it may go that way. And you've already had this preconceived notion in your mind about what's going to happen. Have you ever been in a situation where it changes and it doesn't play out the way you expect, in a good way? See, Mary came expecting to find death and she's still blinded by it even when the reality of the moment is changed on a dime. See, this is what happens in the church and I think it's happening in the church right now. We're focused on the culture, We're focused on the political scene. Uh, We got a primary and an election coming up, May the 21st, locally here. Gonna be voting on issues and people. The enemy is a great deceiver. You've heard me say this. You probably get sick of me saying this. This has become my life verse. I told you that since I was a teenager, this verse has been one I've pondered my whole life. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' own words to his disciples. The thief, who is the thief? Satan, the enemy, the adversary. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his main agenda. It's not to make you feel better. It's not to give you things that you need, but rather to make you think that you should have things that you desperately want when they may be very destructive for you. He may, he may masquerade as light, and you may be tricked into believing the lie that what he has to offer you is so much better than this fuddy-duddy God who has a list of do's and don'ts for me to follow. But there's something about the enemy. He gets us in a place where we begin to believe the lie. Whatever lie that is for you, you, you know what it is. That I'm not good. You start to believe your insecurities are the definition of who you are that you can't sing well enough, that you can't write well enough, that you can't drive well enough, that you can't work well enough, that you're the least in your family, you're the black sheep, or whatever, fill in the blank. He can get you to believe that. You get down on yourself, and then you spiral out. You think that this drug is gonna make you feel better. And for a minute, it does. And then when it's over the guilt rushes in and the roots grow deeper of dysfunction in your own life. The reality of your current situation may be death, But Jesus came, the second part of that verse, he says, but I have come to give you life abundantly. What is life? Let's go back to John 14, verse 6, as Jesus is there in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal, he says to Thomas and Philip, who he's with in the flesh before he is crucified, and he says to the rest of his disciples, Thomas... He's speaking to Thomas. What does he tell Thomas? We're going to get to Thomas in a minute. But in John 14, 6, he's responding to Thomas. Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Philip follows up. Well, we'll just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I not been with you all all this time and you still don't know me? Isn't this amazing? They were only able to see what they were expecting to see. Even when Jesus had said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be led away. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. Betrayed, arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry. I'm coming back. Three days later, I'll come back. Don't you worry, he told them that multiple times. They should have been expecting that Jesus was telling the truth and I think they thought he was telling the truth but their grief during the moment of loss had so overwhelmed them that they couldn't see the reality staring them in the very face. They couldn't believe their own eyes. That's why Mary was deceived into believing that Jesus was a gardener instead of her savior. What does it take for you to come to this place in your own life where you finally say, my Lord and my God? To where you fall at the feet of Jesus and you cling to him as if you never want to let go. I don't ever want to lose you again. No, 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 don't cling to me. I can't stay here. I've fulfilled the mission that my father prepared for me. And he tells them he'll send them an advocate. We know it's the Holy Spirit. What about Thomas? We come to Thomas and and Thomas has done something unique the disciples were all together they stayed together they in those in those days following the crucifixion and the entombment of jesus they were all together even after the resurrection the empty tomb where did they go they stayed in jerusalem in a locked room where they more than likely where they had had kept and observed the uh, passover meal we're not sure but that's what's believed and then and then they're there behind locked doors. Where's Thomas the first time they're there Where Je- when Jesus appears to them? Says he wasn't with them. He separated himself from the community and the fellowship of those um, who for so long had been a safe haven and a support and an encouragement to them. Where is Thomas when he came? When you have a rough time, when life hits you broadside, what is the first response? I can tell you what the first response is of people in the church. Huh? Isolation. I see, in almost 20 years of ministry, when something bad happens, those that are not mature in the faith do this. I'm just gonna stay at home. I'm embarrassed. When you fail, when you mess up, the enemy does a work on you. He, gets, he starts to speak into your ear these small whispers. Oh, they're going to make fun of you. They, oh, they're going to look down. on you. You did what? You can't step foot back into that place. Those people aren't going to like you. They're going to judge you for messing up. You can't go back there. It's going to be a lot of prying eyes. A lot of I told you so's. Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt that way? See, the enemy gets you to this place where he he gets you to believe the lie that if you separate yourself from the community of faith, it'll be a lot better for you. They're just going to judge you. when the adverse of that is true, that Jesus, through the body of Christ in the body of believers, can love you. It doesn't mean you won't be rebuked. Because see, in the body of Christ, there is not only encouragement and edification, but there is holy rebuke and accountability. Why? Because we love you. Because we care for you. I would expect the same thing for me. There have been times when I've been called out. And I've had to admit, you know what, you're right. I've got to make this situation right because I didn't do the right thing. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't act the right way. And so I've got to make it right. Thomas is not with the disciples. He is somewhere else. He has separated himself and he misses the big moment. The first time, thank goodness Jesus comes back again The second time to show Thomas the face-to-face reality of the situation. Barclay says this about Thomas, he withdrew from the Christian fellowship. He sought loneliness rather than togetherness. And because he was not there with his fellow Christians, he missed the first coming of Jesus. How often have you missed something? Have you ever, have you ever um, walked to the bathroom during the major league playoffs or during something and you missed the play of a lifetime? Some of you are not sports fans. Have you, have you ever been like in a movie theater and you're like, oh man, I gotta hold up. A bit. The, uh, the, you know what, if I go really quickly, I won't. And then you go and you come back and you're like, oh, you missed it, dude. Have you been in a situation like that? Tell me what I missed. I can't right now. I'm watching. Right? But it I got to know cuz it's going to build on that. I'm sorry. You missed out. Right? This is Thomas scenario but just in a more serious situation. We miss so much when we separate ourselves from the fellowship of believers. Things happen within the community of faith that can can never happen when we're alone I hear this all the time I don't have to go to church to be a Christian you're right you don't you don't have to go to church to be a Christian but I'll give you this caveat I don't have to go home to be married (laughs) I can be married and never go home how do you think that's going to work out Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says, don't neglect the meeting together of yourselves the way some have grown accustomed to doing. He's saying don't separate yourselves from the community of faith. When you are, in essence, in the sheepfold, there's all the shepherding analogies in the New Testament. When you are in the safety of the sheepfold, the shepherd watches over you But when you decide to step out of the sheepfold and go wandering astray, you're still going to be a sheep, but you'll be a sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd are doomed to be devoured. We miss so much when we separate ourselves. When we separate ourselves in times of pain or sorrow from the community of faith, we often miss God's grace. We miss his healing. We miss his comfort. When we separate ourselves, we tend to forget that the body of Christ are the hands and the feet of Christ. And if you walk away, whether you're a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, you've left the body crippled. It's not to say that God can't do things without you, but how much better if it's with you. We forget that there where two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there also. That's a promise. Thomas was so blinded by the pain and sorrow of the loss, he had forgotten that Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to raise from the grave. Thomas learned the hard way that when you separate yourself from the community of faith, sometimes you miss God. And thank goodness Thomas had a second chance. And thank goodness he was able to walk over and touch, whereas we aren't able to. And how much more blessed are we that we believe when we haven't been given the privilege to touch and to feel and to see and to hear the way Mary did? Her name called out by the very Lord that she had so dedicated her life to, to touch the hands of Jesus that were nailed to the cross for my sin would be an amazing thing I don't know what I would do I don't know if it would be such a reverent moment that I would feel that I couldn't touch the holy body of Christ how could I touch those, those, those markings on the side and in the hands that were nailed there to take my punishment I think Like Thomas, I think the only thing I could do would be to fall on my face and cry out, my Lord and my God. Max Licato tells a story about a blind man named Bob Edens. He writes, for 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness, and then finally, again, with the procedure he was able to see, a skilled surgeon performed this complicated operation, and for the first time, he had sight in his whole life. Can you imagine not ever seeing? What would you conceive of objects in front of you? If you had never seen before, all you had were the other senses but sight. Sight. How could you conceive of objects in front of you? People that your loved ones that you've heard, that you've touched, you've felt, you've smelt, sometimes not for the better, but people have a smell. And you know the person by all of those other senses, and then you get the ability to see for the first time, how do you conceptualize that? What do you do with that? Well, this is what Bob had experienced. He found sight overwhelming. He says, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. <laughs> um, I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow, but, but, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red I mean, I can see the shape of the moon, which I've heard about, and, and, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane fly across the sky and leaving a vapor trail. Now, this is a while after he had gained sight, and he didn't take for granted the things he was able to see and had come to appreciate, whereas we take it for granted, I think, often. When was the last time you looked up and seen the stars? The clouds, the amazement and wonder of creation. And then, of course, he says, sunrises and sunsets. I could only feel the sun on my skin before, and now I could see it. And night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You can never know how wonderful everything is, he says. You see, I said earlier that today's message is entitled The Great Day. It's entitled The Great Day because it's the great day of recognition. It's it's the great day of revealing. It's the great day of truth winning out over evil. It's the answer to Pilate's question that we talked about a few weeks ago. What is truth? When Mary heard her name from the lips of Jesus, the scales fell from her eyes, and she was able to see what she couldn't see before. These streams of light broke through her tear-filled eyes, and the cloud of confusion lifted. When Thomas saw with his own eyes the nail prints in Jesus' hands and the scar in Jesus' side, he was able to finally proclaim, My Lord and my God, do you struggle believing today? Are there questions that you wrestle with? because you can't see, because you can't feel or touch? Have you become numb or used to the fact that you may never get the physical reality that Mary and Thomas ever had? But see, God gives us his amazing grace. He gives us hope. That voice that called out to Mary near the tomb is that voice that still calls out to us today. You may not hear it audibly, but a sense of warmth can come over you a sense of peace that passes understanding, a sense of hope and joy in spite of your circumstances. You see, Paul gives us a very clear indicator of what it's like to live in the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Those of us that have never gotten the privilege of seeing Jesus face-to-face in the flesh, but now have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and to fill us and empower us, he gives us these fruit that we bear in daily living. Love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Where is God today? God is in the lives of those who believe in Jesus and who bear that kind of fruit. You want to see Jesus today? You can see him through the body of Christ that is living and breathing and moving in accordance with his works and his deeds. There are a lot of churches out there that go by the name of Christian, but don't live it out. And does that mean there are churches then that are perfect? No. But there are churches that are preaching the gospel, that are giving you the faith that comes through Scripture and they're living it, or they they're speaking it and doing the best they can to live it faithfully you're going to come into churches that are not perfect but are, that are biblical and that are led by the holy spirit and there're going to be some honorary people from time to time and they're going to make you mad and frustrated but in that kind of a church what should be happening is reconciliation all right, I can't get past this thing that you did or said, but I'm willing to hand it over to the Lord. i want to be reconciled to you. That's the body of Christ. So I'll close with this today as our worship team comes forward to close us out in song. Do you hear, Jesus? Those nail-scarred hands continue to reach out in compassion and love to you. They do, having conquered sin and death through the cross and the empty tomb. You see, today Jesus is alive. The tomb is still empty. His body will never be found this side of heaven. And someday that resurrected body will come back. may not be in your lifetime, but someday... Not only will Jesus have said it is finished on the cross, but someday at the second return, he'll say it's finished once and for all. And sin and death will be completely wiped out of existence. And there will be a separation of those who have believed and dedicated their lives to him and those who've said, no, I just can't go there. I pray that you're on the side of those that say, I do believe and I am dedicating my life. I'm gonna let, let go of the strongholds in my life. I'm gonna get rid of the scales on my eyes. I'm gonna hear Jesus calling my name and I'm gonna surrender and I'm gonna fall at his feet. And I'm gonna cry out my Lord and my God because I know there's no way that I can do this on my own. You hear me make this appeal every week. You probably get sick of it. As long as I'm your pastor, that's the way it's going to be. Because I don't know on a given Sunday who's here that doesn't believe and doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So you have an opportunity this morning. If you need somebody to pray with you, the altars to my right, your left, is a place where you can come. And anybody uh, on our team will come and pray with you to walk you through things because maybe you just don't know how to do this thing called Christianity or belief in Jesus, but you know that he's calling you by name. If you need to to pray alone, the altar to my left, your right, nobody's going to bother you there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, You love us so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And my prayer this morning is that as we've gathered in this place, like Mary and Thomas, we'll be able to hear that voice calling us. And without a shadow of a doubt, we'll know it's you. And we'll fall at your feet and cry out, my Lord and my God. Forgive us today of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us into new creations. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Maine, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.